Welcome to Nerdum and Jaro. This is the first inaugural episode. Yay! Woo! <laughs> um, this is a long time in coming. Yeah, life tends, when you have plans, life tends to get in the way a lot. I mean, a lot, a yeah, lot. Yeah. <laughs> have like a lot of things just blowing up and continuing to explode. Well, firing fiery comet of in real life shit. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's what happens, you know. You, you have you know ups, you have downs, you have triumphs, you have failures. So <laughs> that is that is life. Um, and as you might have heard behind me, we have three very rambunctious kitties. Um, Amsterdam, Holland, and Harlem. So you might hear us yelling at them. Right now, Amsterdam is galloping around our apartment, like, just like he's completely insane. Yeah, he's got the zoomies. Yeah, and he's a Maine Coon, so he's, like, super big. He has busted back legs. He's our, he's our disability kitty. Um... You know, he didn't have enough nutrients when he was a baby, so he has he has some nerve damage in his back legs, so he gallops rather loudly. So if you hear um, any kind of craziness or us yelling at, um, you know, European cities, <laughs> haul it! Amsterdam! If you hear any of that, just know that those are... Very adorable cats, and we're going to post pictures of them on our Facebook page. Speaking of, if you like this um, this podcast, you can find us on our Nerdamanjaro Facebook page um, on Facebook. And, you know, we'll, we'll have more social media stuff as we progress. Again, life is life. This might be just a few episodes. This might just be one for a while. <laughs> but we're going to try to uh, make this a regular thing. Um, so today we're talking about a couple of things. Um, first, I want to talk about my new, my new love. What new love is that? Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> I can't be any more obsessed with this show. I was dreaming about this show last night. That's how obsessed with this show I am. And this show is pretty much the first Star Trek TV show we've had on TV for about, I want to say, 15 years. Since Enterprise? Since Enterprise. So Enterprise, I think, ended in either 2005 or 2006. When did Enterprise end? I think it was either 2005 or 2006. I'm pretty sure. I didn't watch Enterprise. It wasn't my favorite show. Um, we could get into, like, uh, favorite shows at a later um, a later date, like favorite Star Trek shows or mm -hmm. favorite um, episodes of anything, basically. Um, that serialized, but Enterprise was one of those things that, one of those shows that didn't grip me, I didn't really love the captain, even though I loved him in Quantum Leap, um, I wasn't here for Archer, uh, T'Pol, 
um, interests me a little bit, but um, and I and I liked uh, what's that guy? He was on Stargate um, Atlantis, and he was a bad guy. Trip. 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 Yeah. I enjoyed Trip. That was one of the few things that um, Trip was like one of the actors I believe that's always in like sci-fi things, but he's always under heavy prosthesis. Mm-hmm. And that was his first time where he was like just himself, I believe. And Trip is pretty, pretty. I really like Trip and Doctor Flux. I just didn't like the stories. I, I I stuck it out for a year. And, you know, I gave it a year, and I, I'm the kind of person that if I give something a year and it doesn't, like, grip me, then it, it gets deprioritized. So one day I'll finish the series. Um, you know, I'll start it over, and then I'll finish it uh, later. That happened to me with Voyager 2. I like the fact that Wayun showed up in it, but he was an Andorian. <laughs> well, Wayun is, like, I forgot the actor's name. He was in... Um, Re, um, I was about to say repossessed, and that is not in my horror card. <laughs> was about to be um, revoked, repossessed. Um, <laughs> but he was in Reanimator, um, well, yeah. and that was the first movie I've ever saw with him in it. And I think it's the funniest movie I've ever saw. Like. Maybe we should do like, as a child do an episode of movies that we respectively have not seen each other in like first viewings. Oh, we could do that. I mean, that sounds that sounds like awesome um, things. But back to discovery. <laughs> um, Enterprise ended in. Hold up, I'm on the Googles. Yeah, Enterprise was. I didn't watch every episode, but I did stick with 2005. it more off and on until the end. Um, it got more interesting in the later seasons. Like it found its voice after the first, I think after the first maybe year and a half, it found its voice. And I think that's indicative to all Star Trek shows because mm-hmm. if you watch like um, the Next Generation <coughs> back, um, the first two seasons of that show was. Not the greatest. Yeah. I mean, they had some good episodes, but mostly, like... It was strange. Not great episodes. We we went back and watched it. I mean, we've rewatched it at least twice since we've been together, like, the entire series. We we rewatched it, and it was... You could tell they were trying, and, you know, there were... Yeah, there were some bad episodes, and there were some bad... Like makeup, but after they started getting their stride and they got their voice and they, you oh know. Oh my God! Speaking of bad makeup, Worf. Oh God. Worf. Worf went through so poor Michael Dorn. He went through so much um, changes, it, it, like from season one to five. Like I think once they got to him to long haired um, Worf, it was like we finally made it. <laughs> It was like that instance when they when the when the Apollo rocket broke the atmosphere and everyone was like we did it and everyone's in the control room just like hugging each other. Yeah, like you know that was the that was the makeup room. Poor Michael Michael Westmore. (laughs) We got it. We figured out war. We figured it out finally. Michael Dorn doesn't hate us this much. Um, Uh, Yeah. So yeah, start next generation. I remember when it came out and I was like all into seeing it and everything and 
uh, it being the it being the eighties and all that, or the nineties. <laughs> no, um, it's eighty eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven started out. Late eighties. Um, you know, there was like expectations for it, uh, um, and it was. I think I was when I first saw it. I was really just enamored with it because it was just like I hadn't seen Star Trek since like the movies and. You know, just having them go from one generation to the next generation. I mean, I um, remember. It was great. It was great for me. And there's new introduction of new technologies. But, you know, it was. I mean, that moment when the ship went to warp for the first time. I was seven and I remember the look on my mother's face. (laughs) Okay. So my mom is like. She's the original series Trekkie. Like, her family used to get together in the den and watch this movie on the giant, giant tube TVs with the, that looked like furniture. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the TV they were looking at Star Trek on. And I remember, like, the almost glimmery tear that happened when that ship, when he said engage, and that ship said, Vroom! and she was like, oh! and I was like, at seven, I remember that. So I, I believe I'm having that same experience with Discovery. Mm-hmm. Every time they 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 do their little um, warping, um, I think I feel that same like satisfactory um, a, a fanship, you mm-hmm. know, but. My favorite um, part of Discovery is the fact that it's just there. <laughs> As a fan, 15 years is a long time not to have a series on. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's a long, long time. Um, and not to say that we should be happy f- with whatever we get, mm-hmm. but... It's it's a it's a triumph that number one this show is on, number two the show is spawning other shows like we're getting a Section Thirty One show. Picard is coming back. Mm-hmm. I am so stoked because Patrick Stewart is like he's the top of all my kind of like fandom people. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even want to meet him because I feel like if I meet him I would just be crying for hours. <laughs> Um, and you know it's just spawning there's a TV series coming um, a cartoon series coming out you know it's just spawning more Trek and so um, let's talk about Discovery let's talk about some of its plot and I'm just going to warn viewers that we're going to talk about all of it so um, I'll give you a warning when we go into season two stuff that you might not have watched yet because I know it's on CBS All Access. So some people just wait until it, you know, all comes out and then watch it or um, different streaming personalities. Some people are still in the first season. So I'm going to say this is the spoiler warning for season one. General spoiler warnings (laughs) are in effect. So if you listen to anything after this point, it's not on us. Because we warned you. No nasty negative comments on our page. Okay. All right. Season one. So 
Season one is interesting. Um, you're introduced to the main character, Michael Burnham. Um, and I only call her a main character because her her stories basically drives the continuing story of each episode. Mm-hmm. So there's always a piece of her, just like Picard, there's always a little bit of piece of Picard in, in um, TNG, The Next Generation, um, or Kirk or Spock. You know, in, in TOS, the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she's kind of like, her story is like the baseline. Yeah, she's the point of view character. Yes. Like, everything is kind of flowers out from her. Yeah. Um, she's a human that was raised in Vulcan after her parents were killed. Um, she was raised by Ambassador Sarek and his wife, Amanda. So she's um, technically uh, the sister to Spock. And I Yes, Spock's brother. I don't know where no, he is. Oh well, Spock's. Spock's oh yeah, um, Cybok. Cybok. Um, it should be. I don't know if he was in, if he was in the series at that point, but. Oh well, he would be because would he that be was after the, Amanda died. Mm-hmm. He's before because Sarek was married before Amanda, uh, okay. and then she became um, a priestess. And well, she had um, Cybok and became a priestess. And then Sarek, because he's father of the year, really um, would conflict with Cybok. And then they basically split. Yeah. And then he met Amanda in this spot. Well, now <laughs> the new edited version is he met Amanda, had Spock. And then I think he's like either six when she comes. Yeah, he's pretty young. Yeah, he's pretty young. He's either, he's in the like five-ish nebulous area of like. Yeah, five to eight. Five to eight. And she's about, she's preteen. She's about 12, 13. Yeah, she's about, I would say she's like 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Um, And she's basically raised on Vulcan. Um, She tries to go into the Vulcan Science Academy. Uh, but, you know, the Vulcans are kind of bigoted towards humans at this stage. And yeah. they're like, no, we're not going to have humans in there. And uh, so it, you can have one or the other. You can have your son or you can have your human daughter. Which yeah. one are you going to have in there? And, and, yeah. And, um, and Sarek chose Sarek the chose, blood. Sarek chose Spock. <laughs> Ironically, Spock said, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to join Starfleet. Yeah. Um, so he lost both his children like, to Starfleet. Starfleet. <laughs> so he, he brings... He brings um, Michael to um, to Philippa Giorgio, who's the who um, I forget the name of the ship that she had, um, but she's in Starfleet. So he brings her to her, his friend Philippa Giorgio, so she can uh, give direction to Michael's life, and she basically becomes like her best friend, um, another mother figure for her, and like. Um, Almost like her being like close to being like a number one, but we know that that number one position was um, Saru. Uh, and we flash forward a couple of years, um, a specified amount of years, and basically they end up on the edge of the edge of Starfleet space, uh, on the edge of Klingon space, and they encounter the Klingons for the first time in like forever, and uh, Burnham. Uh, trying to save everybody uh, speaks to Sav- speaks to Savick about how the Vulcans dealt with the Klingons because she was worried because uh, her family Shizu. yeah her her family was basically slaughtered by Klingons 
Um, and he tells her that, you know, once they encountered, the Vulcans encountered the Klingons, Klingons basically shot them out of the sky. And then every time the Vulcans encountered them in the future, they would fire first and, mm-hmm. like, gain respect. So she wanted Giorgio to fire first. Giorgio was like, no, that's not Starfleet. We don't fire first. We, we talk and we, we're diplomats and we're explorers and we're not going to fight. So she tried to mutiny by doing the Vulcan neck pinch on Giorgio. And, and basically taking over the ship. Yeah, taking over the ship. And basically, um, how they how she met the um, the kind of Klingon uh, vessel is she went out and she kind of woke up this Klingon death vessel, um, and they asked her to pull back, and she was like, "I'm super curious," and well, she, they, they weren't like. The, she didn't wake it up. They knew that they were there. Yeah, yeah, And they were just basically, like, they wanted to stay... The the guy, the the head Vulcan, um, Takuvma... The um, uni Klingon. <laughs> the head, head Klingon, Takuvma, <laughs> um, basically was trying to align all the houses. Because at that point, all the houses were fighting against each yeah. other. So he wanted to align all the houses, and he wanted them to go against Starfleet because he felt that Starfleet... Um, Wanted to destroy their culture, um, which of course is strange. Was we, <clears throat> us knowing what Starfleet is is somewhat ridiculous. Um, so he knew that they were going to come and say that they come in peace. Um, so he basically set himself up there in order for them to like face off against Starfleet, mm-hmm. so he can get them all the houses together under his um, leadership. Um, so. Uh, Michael gets caught because uh, Giorgio woke up uh, and basically throws her in a brig. And then all the other Klingons started showing up and then all the Starfleet started showing up and then they got into this huge knockdown throughout fight in the middle of space in the Battle and, of the Binary Stars. And basically, the Shenzhou... She, well, Michael ends up in the brig. The Shenzhou ends up, like, you know, being blown up to, to damn near nothingness yeah she's only saved because the computer's still running so she got she still is in the um in the force field she's still shielded um and she finds her way back to georgia um and michael is just desperate to you know figure out a way to I would say clean up her mess because mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just she she's just made it so messy, um, and she's not being heard. And um, she has all this back history with the Klingons. Like she, her parents were killed, and then there was an attack on a Vulcan school, um, you know, by the Klingons that killed almost everybody. And then Sarek had to save her life. Um, so she has all this trauma with the Klingons, and she just wants to get them, you know, just just in this fight that she's kind of inadvertently started. Um, and so she goes to, I'm trying to remember what happened. She's going to... They transport over in order to capture yes. uh, Takuvma, and they <clears throat> end up getting in a fight, and Giorgio dies, and... Takuvma um, is killed. Takuvma is killed by Michael. Yes. And she gets back, she escapes back to um, the Senjo. And 
basically she gets yeah they they court martialed yeah, she gets court martialed and then she's about to be carted off to um, well no she was at the mining colony for yeah. at least two months or so she yeah. she spent some time in the mining colony um, in their version of prison and then she's about to be transferred and then they get taken aboard some accident happens and they get taken aboard um, the discovery. Uh, where the captain basically conscripts her into service and working on uh, developing this drive uh, that basically allows him to teleport anywhere in the known galaxy. Um, provided they, I guess, provided they have coordinates for it. Um, so, and mind you, we, this is what we're pulling from our memory from last year because we are well into episode seven of this year's. Um, discussion. So there might be some things that are um, misconstrued. So don't yell at us. We did watch season one. It was just a while ago. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it just follows her. Um, the first season follows her on her um, redemption arc, where um, she's basically redeeming herself for starting a war, trying to basically trying to come to bring the war to an end. Yeah. Um, and finding new ways to um, finding new ways and new avenues in which would uh, accomplish that goal. Um, and so the first couple of episodes, um, outside of the pilot episode in which she is introduced to the new captain and discovery, um, the first couple of episodes are um, really dealing with this new tr- uh, transportation um, that the discovery is testing out, um, which is <laughs> something that is very controversial. Um, and I'm going to get the correct pronunciation of the drive because <laughs> I don't want to um, mess it up. But um, I believe it was the mycelial. Yeah, the mycelial network. Um, it's a transportation drive that basically uses um, a mycelial network, which basically is explained to be the thing that connects the universe together. So mm-hmm. basically, it's a bending space technology. Um, and which is uh, built and ran by um, Officer Stamets, who is an interesting character. Some One character I had to grow into liking. He's a little bit abrasive, a little bit of brusque. He kind of reminds me of um, um, the doctor in Voyager, Robert Picardo. Uh, yeah, like a little bit of a dick. Like, no bedside man. I mean, he's a scientist and not a um, physical uh, doctor. Um, but he he's not a like... He's not meant to be likable. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I really like that actor. Um, so, um, basically, um, as they go through the... Um, as they go through the rest of the season... Um, yeah, they're dealing with um, finding a way to end the war. So, um, she is um, she's going through like a really a long a year long redemption arc, a season long redemption arc. Um, she's 
her her path you know she she's not sure what she what it is she's supposed to do she knows that she's the source of like all of this conflict and death and everything um even though it was unintentional she was just trying to save her family her um her adopted family and save the crew uh in her eyes and she knows what she did was wrong um and basically set everyone on this this destructive path so she's spending her time on on discovery um basically making uh making new allies um forming new relationships relationships, learning more about herself and um hoping you know that they'll come to a point where they'll and be able to finally stop the fighting and come to some sort of um peace with the with the klingons eventually um so basically their their drive i'm sorry i was looking it up their drive is a spore drive um, that uses the mycelial network to transport the discovery through space. Yes. Um, and it's faster than warp travel. travel. Um, uh, and they just basically call it transwarp travel. Uh, and that kind of transwarp, um, there's a lot of controversy over the appropriation of this transfer from yes, it seems to have somebody come, else the idea seemed to have come from a video game that was made back in the day um where basically like images and like characters were more or less lifted from the from the game um uh to make this to you know make the backdrop for this story um at least for about the drive itself um i i don't know if they're they they have resolved this legally? Uh, no, I'm, there's still litigation, still litigation with it. I mean, honestly, CBS just needs to yeah. pay the people. Yeah, just, like, just pay them CBS, Paramount, just pay um, the guy who created it. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like, took, he, there's so much proof that they that the original writers poached this information from this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, just pay, just pay the guy, yeah. you know? Because a lot of these production companies, pay the guy, give him credit. Yeah, and 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 that's all you really need to do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a lot of these big companies, they don't like paying people because there there is a lot of work that is out there that is honestly similar. Mm -hmm. But when people can prove it in court, down to like characters and stuff, like he got pictures, and I'm like, ooh, this don't look good for Mm -hmm. for them. You know, it's like it's not good enough just to fire the the people who did the infringement. You have to reimburse this guy because mm-hmm. this is his creative ideas. Yes. So it's like just as a fan of Star Trek, just fucking pay the guy. Like <laughs> Jesus, just pay him. Yeah, it's an artist. Yeah, pay just him for pay, it. pay him for his time and give him credit for and give him know, credit. credit for the idea and you know maybe um, maybe make him a character. I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, like. And the, and the guy who, and the, I'll write down um, eventually who invented the, the entire sports um, stuff, and I'll put his name down. He deserves credit. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he works on this. He, I believe he's either Brazilian or Colombian or something um, to that effect. Um, he's overseas. He's taking care of his family. He did a passion project that he put online and then... Very rich company stole his idea. So yeah. just to, to put it right, pay him. 
so he could take care of who he needs to take care of. Exactly. And give him the credit. Yep. <laughs> That's how you end the controversy. Um, but back to Discovery and, and the Spore Drive. Um, I will say this thing looks freaking cool. <laughs> like, it is amazing. Okay? Like, it looks it looks great. Discovery... The, the whole ship looks amazing. When they first came out with it, it was a mess. <laughs> yeah, because they did a couple of more runs through the old vendor omatic. You know, sometimes and- just save. Like, I want to <laughs> tell these big companies, like, just save it. Just save it. I know people want to know about it, but just, just save it until it looks good. Mm-hmm. Because when they brought that clunky ass, like, 1994 Rendermatic <laughs> version of the Discovery, everybody was like, oh, hell no. They were like, oh, no. Um, I saw it and I was like, mm, it's probably going to be good. I'm just going to wait until yeah, wait. It's like, I adopt it, a wait and see you, you attitude have to. for most things. When they bring out something that that unfinished, it's like you have to adopt a wait and see. You can't just be angry at something. It's like being angry at an artist rendering, a, like artist drawing, 3D drawing of something. It's just like, just, just wait, just wait, because mm-hmm. it looks great. And the way this thing moves and the way the transport, I mean, it's amazing. Um, but the first couple of episodes is just her kind of learning. You, basically, they're introductory episodes to the characters. Yeah. Learn, she's learning the ropes of the new, she's uh, her meeting, new position. Mm-hmm, meeting new people. Meeting new people. Meeting Lorca. Meeting Captain Lorca. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know... As a viewer, you're getting to learn the the basically the players, yes. you know, the cast, um, and then you're getting to learn the Klingon opponent because we are in a war, right? The Starfleet yeah. are now in a war. You have so you don't really see. So normally, in like a when they're doing like a war, um, when they're doing like a war, uh, using war as a backdrop for a setting, um, you only really see the good guy side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know the side that just supposed to be rooting for quote unquote good guys. Yeah. Um, you only see it from their perspective. You don't really see like all the stuff that like the things that are going on behind the scenes and the other, um, and the other faction that you're fighting with, um, so much. Because um, it's mainly focusing on like the main characters of the story, but like the the Klingons themselves were like very in this were very interesting because it wasn't just like you know. They weren't just like an obvious, like uh, an, uh, a two-dimensional foil, like yeah. they had them before, um, where you know, oh, they're a warlike race, and you know, they just want to fight. It was like a lot more going on in the background with that story, um, leading up to um, leading up to like the the whole resolution of the war itself, um, just their motivation for them fighting um, was an interesting take for me because for me. Um, I, I I'm not as fluent in Star in Star Trek as like as my wife is and my mother-in-law, um, but for me like just seeing the Klingons in, from TOS, even the Klingons in um, in Next Generation and beyond, um, they weren't they they it was you get glimpses of their culture, but mm-hmm. you don't really get glimpses of what goes on behind the scenes. Like you just have like these weird sort of cultural references like oh they got to do the paint stick ceremony 
It's like, oh, they got to eat this thing alive. And it's like, oh, they're very strange. It's like, oh, my God, we're human type thing. Um, but with them, you kind of get like more of an insight into the character. You get more insight into the character. And Kuvma. the politics of Vol- Klingon. The politics, the, the character Tukufma, um, uh, Volk. Um, you, you, you see their motivations of why they want to do things the way, the, why they want to do why they want to unify the houses and why they want to do things in the way that they're doing it. Um, why they're even engaged in the war. Um, and it's interesting to see them do it. It's interesting to see them show more of that perspective. Um, because most of the times when you see, most of the times uh, from what I've experienced, when you see them do like, when they have a war and they're showing the other side, they're kind of showing them doing machinations to actually, you know, like they're, they're formulating their plan of attack as opposed to them, like the political um, power struggles that's going on between uh, the the other Klingon houses and, and Volk uh, on the torchbearer and all that stuff. Um, and also like the female Klingon, and I'm trying to find her name. She's the most interesting. Yeah, she was she was a really interesting character. Because she so basically Takuvma, um, which is which has become since his death, had become their uh, martyr. And Takuvma had took all the rejected Klingons mm-hmm. and created his own like house of rejected rejected Klingons. So Valk is different because he's like an albino. He's albino. And then she, who I'm trying to find her name, um, Latrell. 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 she, I believe, her family was basically defeated and, and um, outcast. And they were like the spies. Like nobody trusts her family. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was outcasted. Um, and... You see her kind of rise through um, t- to power um, throughout the series. Yeah, she's the she's the she's the power behind the um, behind the throne. Yeah. basically, she's the one that's kind of like pulling pulling the strings and sort of um, manipulating manipulating events or you know being in advising directions that um, the main uh, that Valk is supposed to go in. Um, she's the one that ultimately comes up with. Like the the solution for the whole the solution for the whole thing, for everything which causes insane <laughs> and super bad consequences. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk yeah. about that a little bit later. Um, but back to Michael. Michael is interesting um, because, like um, Hiram said, she is on this um, path of redemption. And she is human, but she's raised with Vulcan precepts, right? So yes. not to show emotions, um, um, could be in control of your emotions. And she's always kind of felt um, from the episodes that we watched in the beginning, she kind of always felt like, you know, the pretender. Mm-hmm. Like she'll never be a real Vulcan. She'll never um, fit in. You know, like Sarek was running his own house of basically outcasts as mm-hmm. Amanda and um, Spock and poor Michael just in there and just in the society that don't accept them. Mm-hmm. 
And so when she goes into Starfleet, she's finding this acceptance. She finds a commander that she trusts, and then she breaks that trust. And, you know, then she finds herself, you know, in a relationship that she, you know, really needs because you have two people, two damaged people, um, her and Ash Tyler, um, together. (coughs) Basically... You know, he's going through his issues, which we'll talk about in depth. But she's also um, clinging on for acceptance. I mean, and she's ostracized. Yeah. I mean, she's the first Starfleet officer to commit mutiny. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the, I think, one of the best um, scenes in the first season is when she's first on Discovery, and she's basically in the mess hall and she's sitting by herself and everyone's kind of just like oh she's the traitor she's the, the one traitor, that, she's yeah. a traitor she's the mutineer she wins against everyone and they're sitting away from her and then um her bunkmate tilly comes and just basically sits down with her yeah and starts to you know eat with her like you know she's a part of the crew now yeah and basically welcomes her again uh back into the folds of starfleet and then everyone else started like people started coming over to like welcome her and like basically getting over the fact that you know she made a mistake and she's paying for the mistake and then not like harboring it hanging it over her head the entire time mm-hmm. um which is something i expected to happen yeah and then they went in a different route where they were like you know what this is you know we're not gonna bear hold this grudge you know you, you're gonna get your chance to fix this you're gonna get your chance to um redeem yourself in our eyes and you know we got to trust each other if we're going to be on this ship together mm-hmm. um in this in dangerous times and dangerous situations and you know they didn't they didn't lord it over her and you know oh, the crew but there was one crew member who did <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so she did it wasn't like an easy mm-hmm. kind of comeback um you know for for saru who was the first officer of the Shinzao yeah. with Giorgio. And um, that was a more complicated forgiveness thing. Like, you know, Saru uh, was very mistrustful of uh, Burnham yeah. after a, the... A lot of that has to do with his... Um, his race. His race, because they're very, um, they very fearful... Uh, race. They were basically raised, um, basically to be um, prey, like cattle <laughs> prey. Yeah. So they were just like, they, they weren't aggressive in any any meaningful sort of way, and and he was always sensitive to like fear and danger. So he felt that Michael was a danger to everybody, and you know, in the interaction between him and Michael, and he's just basically saying that you kind of you you your actions kind of ruined my trajectory trajectory in becoming eventually becoming captain um because you know he was second in command and you know basically he should have been the one to step up when Giorgio goes down and stuff like that and and her actions just messed that entire thing up so he doesn't initially trust her like everyone like other people do in the in discovery itself he's like you know you're dangerous um well, also, she has an impulsion, right? Yeah. Like, she's, she is a leap and before thinker, mm-hmm. um, and she's brilliant. So that's even a, a more dangerous conv- um, yeah. combination. So he's like, 
you are erratic, you know. Uh, and Saru himself, he, my opinion of him has changed so much in the second season versus the first season yeah. because they, I don't know if the writers really knew how to um, write him uh, because it was a lot of some timey uh, behavior between Burnham. It was like, I trust you. And then it's like, but you're going to fail. And it's like, but what? But you just said you trust me. Or I don't trust you. And, oh, I told you so. It was a lot of weirdness that was going on with their relationship. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I look at it, look back at it as a season two viewer, I see it more as um, trust rebuilding. Yeah. Because... You know, he, on some level, he had to trust her. Yeah. And on the in the back of his mind, that betrayal is all was always going to be there. And I just wish they would have wrote it better. <laughs> yeah. He he was always like, like Sar Saru, nature basically prevents him from being too confrontational about yeah. it. So he could be somewhat, he could somewhat address it, but he doesn't want to be like too aggressive about it because yeah. that's not the, the the Kelpian way. Like his race is Kelpian. Um, and having him and like Burnham, both of them, both of them are emotionally arrested in different ways. Yeah. And having them both like trying to like have this, have their relationship back as it was before, and, and, and also not being guilt. able, not being able to express what it is between each other mm -hmm. that's causing like causing them to butt heads or you know whatever strife they're having. Um, and also the guilt. I yeah, mean, she's guilt. guilty for. Getting um, Jojo killed, mm -hmm. he feels guilt because he was full of fear and and couldn't react in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then he throughout season one is trying to prove himself that he can be a captain. Yeah, um, without the guidance of Jojo. Exactly. And then Tilly, <laughs> let's talk about Tilly, who's like my favorite character. Yeah, Tilly is awesome. <laughs> So Tilly is Michael's um, Michael's roommate, and when Michael gets on board of the Discovery, um, Tilly is there as you know. I feel like she's fan service because she is the person that sees the positivity in every situation, mm -hmm. and she's also the person that we can we could connect to as fresh eyes on the the ship because she is. She is, I don't know if she's an actual newbie on the ship, but she feels very new. Mm -hmm. And her character um, experienced things as it is. And, and she's just full of, like, light I, and happiness. I think she's, I think she's kind of the equivalent of Chekhov was when he came, first yes. came on the ship where exactly. he, he he made his bones enough to get in the command, in, in on the, the command, command, track. On yeah. command track. Um but he was still relatively new in regards to like being in the crew. Like he was just sort of like a fresh transfer or what have you. And, you know, you know to, everyone's <laughs> taking him underneath his, their wing yeah. type thing. Until he's like, she's like, everything is awesome. Mm -hmm. Like she is really like, wow, this is awesome. This is amazing. We're doing something that is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are like almost direct quotes from her. <laughs> So, you know, and, and but she's also socially awkward and, you know, she doesn't have that much belief in herself. And so where 
Tilly um, is that light for Michael. Um, Michael is the, you know, purpose and drive for Tilly. So it's like Tilly wants to be a captain. So Burnham um, gets together with her and is just like, look, here, these are the ways, these are the disciplines you need to learn, Um, you know, you know, and mentor, she becomes her mentor. And so when they meet, it's full of social awkwardness because, you know, Tilly's like, did you hear about the traitor on board that's staying with us? You know, thinking that Burnham (laughs) is just some random roommate and she finds out that Burnham is actually, her roommate's actually the traitor. And then she has to deal with it, you know? And the way she deals with it is socially awkward and hilarious. And, um, but she gets over it because she's the one that humanizes, like you said, humanizing is Burnham to the crew. Mm -hmm. She's like, she, she's also like that sense she also has like that sense of wonder that a lot of but I know I would have if I was like in mm-hmm. like 90% of those situations um, I'd just be like in this state of awe all the time um, just dealing with like even a, a tenth of the stuff that they're even dealing with um, and you know she's she's a pretty good she's a pretty good scientist mm-hmm. and she's a, she thinks very well on her feet as a character um, but she also like you know like we've been saying she's like also like the most like I mean most of the crew is human um, as far as we've seen mm-hmm. um, as far as we know yeah as far as we've seen they're, they're mostly human and she's like probably the most human out of all of them like she's the one that that everyone um, they always have a character that you, that you identify that you're supposed to identify with that a kind of studies um, is a study of humanity mm-hmm. itself. Like Data was the study, um, Spock was that study, mm-hmm. um, Odo was that study, and and Kess Kess and then Seven of Nine was that study, mm-hmm. and then um, um, T'Pol, T'Pol was yeah. that study, and sure. she's kind of she's that study. You would think it would be Saru. I think they're both a little yeah. in different ways. They both are that study because both of their s- stories are very similar, mm-hmm. and they're both their their characters are growing and evolving in ways that they don't under mm-hmm. they don't completely understand. Yeah, but with I think with her versus um, Saru as being like the character study, um, Saru Saru doesn't really question human nature as much. No. As I think Tilly does. Well, I mean, it makes sense because, yeah. you know, Saru's Kelpian. Yeah, Saru's just a He's like, just trying to understand himself. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going through his own... Like, but they're both, have, they're both have stories about confidence. Yes. And having confidence and um, not living in a state of fear. That is true. That is true. Um, and then we have... Um, we have... Uh, Stamets and his um, his partner. Yeah, like the um, first openly openly gay, gay couple. couple in a TV series. Yep, in a Star Trek TV series. Yep. Um, not including that kiss that Dax had with her, <laughs> her ex wife. Or um, didn't Beverly have a kiss? No, that was with the other trail. No, I don't think so. I'll I'll as, I'll as go far, back into my mind as, and as far as I know, I don't think Beverly. 
really. She had like relationships with most. I think it was well, as far as I know, it's all guys and kind of unrequited love with. Oh, Picard. you know what it was? It was the episode with the Trill guy. He got injured. She was in love with him, and then they put his symbiote inside a woman who was next online. Uh, you remember that episode? Vague, I don't know. Vaguely. I do not remember if they kissed or not, but I will I put it in the comments if they did. I don't think they, <laughs> I don't think they did. I, I do know that Dax did that with her ex-wife. Yeah. And Because yeah. it was like almost like the opposite parallel episodes mm-hmm. of like TNG and DS9. Deep Space Nine for people who don't know what DS9 is. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they are, so you have Stamets, who is abrasive and brash, and he's the kind of, he's the mad scientist, right? Mm-hmm. He built this spore drive with a buddy, um, you know, he ends up becoming part of the spore drive mm-hmm. in later episodes, so he's the one, navi- he's the navigator now, um... Um, and his and once he does that, his character gets a lot. Does like an about face for me. Is <laughs> yeah, like he, does. he went from being uh, arrogant and aloof and abrasive uh, to more. It's funny because when they because his character basically genetically modifies himself with alien DNA in order to pilot use to pilot the ship and be the navigator of the ship. So when he became less human genetically, he began started more acting human. more human. Um, and it was more open to you know experiences and stuff, and just you know, generally uh, a lighter character uh, than just being like kind of like a curmudgeon. He he would have been I guess he would have been Bones if he was just like if Bones was just a straight up scientist as yep. opposed to a medical practitioner. Uh, arguably the worst medical practitioner of all Starfleet, <laughs> uh, but that's a that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> <laughs> and then his um, his partner Hugh. Um, his partner Hugh is basically his moral center, Stamets' yes. moral center. So he's the one that's like, babe, like think about what you're doing, mm-hmm. think about the impact on yourself, think about your impact around you, mm-hmm. um, you know. And he's the one that can, he's the only one that can really get Stamets to like slow down and think. Yeah. Whether Stamets takes his advice or not is another story. Yes. But um, he was his heart. Yes. You know, and um, in the later half of the season, spoiler alert, Hugh gets killed. And that, I think that also humanizes Stamets, too, because once you lose your heart, you now have to find your purpose and your reason. Yes. Um, and, you know, he spends the later half of the season trying to figure himself out um and also being part of this you know navig (laughs) this navigational force and being part of this network that he thought he would never like physically experience Mm -hmm. so we get that state of wonder a little bit from Stamets too yes um because now he's part of the universe Mm -hmm. um let's get into the more complicated characters Ash Tyler. Oh, God. <laughs> I loved Ash. Ash, so Ash Tyler um, comes 
in the I would say the first couple of, he's not in the it's first about, couple of I yeah, think halfway about, through almost halfway through the series we meet um when we meet Mud yeah. from the original series yeah, so Henton <laughs> uh, uh Eugene Harcourt Mud shows up yeah um basically as a Klingon prisoner and he, and basically Lorca yeah. the captain which we'll talk about after uh, Mr. Tyler um <laughs> Lorca, the captain of Discovery, he gets um, taken by the Klingons yes. and put in jail. And so in this jail is Fenton, blah, 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 Lorca. mud. Yes. Eugene Fenton, mud. Harcourt, <laughs> mud. A Harcourt, Fenton. It's something very pretentious and annoying, uh, <laughs> which is his character. Played by um, Rain, Rain Wilson, Wilson who, who I ex- love Rain who Wilson. Who did an excellent job. Um... I'm so glad he didn't do the whole uh, original mud because oh that, that, the the stupid ass voice oh no yeah he, I have tribbles yeah I don't tribbles? I don't know what that was about back in the day but uh, uh, just like that was the sixties that was bad um, um but he <coughs> ends up um, in jail with mud and um, Ash Tyler and Ash Tyler's in the jail. Um, as a Federation soldier pilot who um, has been being um, physically raped by Laurel. Yeah, just tortured and raped and, and, and all um, types of stuff. Horrible, horrible shit going shit. on with him. Um, so he has PTSD. Um, and they manage to escape. And Ash Tyler finds um, commiseration and love with. Uh, Michael. Yes. So that yes, basically yes. is like the gist of Ash Tyler's story. He falls head over the heels with Michael. He becomes a part of the crew. Um, you know, but he still has this damage from this, what we assume to be uh, PTSD. Spoiler alert, spoiler Te- alert. Technically, it was PTSD. <laughs> well, it is. It's but just not what it was. <laughs> not The source of that PTSD was not what we initially thought. So, <laughs> this is a big spoiler alert. Yeah, so, so, if you haven't, if you seen haven't gotten it, this far, just turn off your podcast. I think it's episode, I want to say episode 8 or 9 um, in the series is when we start to learn about Ash Tyler and his relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Klingons. Um, so pause and then come back to us. Um, so we find out that the hey, albino. Hold on, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Mm. We just got to give them a give them a um, a courtesy um, moment a, 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 to a, a stop. Courtesy pause. A courtesy pause to stop listening if you haven't seen the rest of the. He's being extra cautious. Because I don't want people coming up to me on the street and being like, "You ruined." You've ruined Discovery for me. Like, no one told you to listen. <laughs> we gave you a huge spoiler warning. Big warnings in the beginning and just Throughout. before now. So, pause. And now I'm going to say it because mm. we paused enough. So, the albino um, Klingon that we meet in the beginning and first three episodes, um, Laurel talks to him and tells him. Hey, you know, 
you have to, I have this idea, but you have to give me everything of mm-hmm. yourself. Because mm-hmm. basically he was trapped. They, they, he brought the other Klingons together, like basically in, the, in this graveyard of ships. And he, his ship was the only one that had cloaking at the time. Yeah. So the other houses wanted cloaking. And there was a hostile yeah, takeover. Yeah, there was a hostile takeover. <laughs> he went over to get this to get. A, he went over to the Shenzhou to get a, the a component that would repair um, their, ship. their ship. And he discovered that the other houses had taken over, um, had taken over, and basically they just left him stranded on the Shenzhou. Yeah. Um, to die because you know he's an albino. They didn't like albinos. Well, also he was the second in <laughs> yeah, command to to Kuvma. So when yeah, so when Kuvma died. He took this kind of mm-hmm. um, situation where he became the new power. Yeah. Um, so the Klingons disseminated all disseminated the cloaking <laughs> technology throughout the houses, and now they're just kicking the kicking the living daylights out of the Federation because yeah. the Federation can't detect them. Um, so Laurel, um, before they left, managed to transport herself onto um, get her certifically transport herself onto. Um, the the remains of the Shenzhou with um, Valk, and she's like like she's like Tiffany said that he she tells him that she has an idea but she had to give everything. Yeah, and um, he was already kind of like mistrustful for, of her because um, he when felt, he felt that she stabbed him in the back, yeah, when she was just really keeping him alive, and she's she, she, very manipulative. Yeah, because she 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 loves strategist. Him. Yeah, she's a strategist, and she loved him, and she wanted to keep him alive. Yeah, and so I believe there was an episode where he meets himself. Or who? Um, Ash Tyler meets meets Volk. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. That was the episode where um, he fought Vuk. Sarek was there. They were trying to keep... Maybe, um, maybe misremembering, but I don't think that happened. No, I did. Uh, <laughs> because... Um, this is when Michael got into the um other world yeah the mirror world oh yes okay that okay yeah so they they basically end up in the mirror world but before that um we just i don't don't know if that the reveal happened the reveal happened after this the reveal happened yeah the real happened after the real to michael happened after that incident i believe Hmm. Because she was like, I can't, you know, trust you after that whole thing. So, Discovery ends up going to the Mirror Universe. And yeah. they're basically taking the place of the evil doppelgangers. Um, but, um, Laurel gets captured. Yes, that happens. On Discovery. And and he starts, Ash Tyler starts having these flashes. Oh, yeah, he starts so having... He's like, what did you do to me? And she was like... You don't remember what we did? And they're just like, come to find out that Ash Tyler is actually Volk. Yeah. And they, she did they're like. Both, they're both yeah. Ash Tyler yeah. and Volk. So, so basically. They took Volk's body. Yeah. And they sandblasted it down. They basically filed down all the bones of so like normal human size. 
um, reshaped his entire structure, um, redid his genetics more or less. Well, they had yeah. they had captured yeah. a um, a Federation pilot, which yeah. was Ash Tyler. Yeah, and then they and they they used a Klingon magical science <laughs> to take two beings that were totally different and mm-hmm. mashed them together. Yeah. So um, he was a sleeper agent. Yeah, so <laughs> he was a sleeper agent. And so every time he saw it, he was planted in the jail cell yeah. with Lorca and Mud. Yes. Um, and, and then he, he gets planted. He had no memory of this, so. He gets, <laughs> he, gets he helps in the escape, quote-unquote escape. Of Laurel um, and, and the Admiral. And ends up, in, ends up on Discovery and becomes the security chief. Falls in love with um, Michael. Michael. Um, they start having a relationship, and then he sees Morel and starts having these flashes. Yep. And then he just finds out. He goes to the doctor and he's like, "I'm having these flashes," and she's like, "He's like, it's probably PTSD," and he's like, "No, it's something else." So they scan him, and then he did a deep scan, and then the doctor was like, "Well, okay, so he's he's like this basically some- you've been you've been your body's been reconstructed entirely." And yeah. your brain has been like overwritten, but with its personality, so we don't know which personality is yours and which one is Vault, but we know that you're actually a Klingon. Yeah. And then he just kills the doctor out of reflex. And then, well, yeah. Because yeah, he, he's like, to keep a secret, he's just like, well, you're dead, broke yeah. his neck. And then um, there. And that this, was Vault, because yeah, let, let's this, be clear, yeah, Volk it kills was him. Volk. Took over, so he was going back and forth between yeah. personalities yeah. because Laurel had gave um, Volk. There was a thing that they would say to each other as children yeah, that followed them to um, adulthood, which was the code word, mm-hmm. um, code phrase to like wake up Volk inside of Ash Tyler. Yeah. But it kind of didn't go the way that she wanted because Ash Tyler fell in love with Michael, and I think that kind of interfered yeah. with the the whole Volk. Yeah. So, Coming back. So Volk is, Volk is, they discovered that um, Ashtar was Volk. Um, and they end well, up in the he mirror. discovered. Yeah. <laughs> and then we discovered yeah, as yeah, watchers. And, and, we were like, oh, he goes shit. Into the, they go into, they're in the mirror universe, and they're trying to figure a way to get home, and they're like figuring out how to save the Klingons there, because, because Volk is still alive. Yeah. And then they go, they're talking to the Klingons, and then, and then he just snaps and kills his doppelganger, and doesn't he doesn't kill him? I believe he does. No, he. What happens is they go for a meeting. Yeah. Because basically, in the mirror universe, there's the I forgot what the, the imperial yeah kind of council situation. In, imperial Earth. Earth, and we meet the <laughs> Empress Giorgio, who's evil Giorgio. Yes, Michelle, we'll, Michelle Yeoh is the evil character. Yeah, is, is awesome. she's amazing. Um, and what eventually happens is they go... So Michael comes up with this idea to protect the planet. And so to do that, um, she has to make an alliance with the current council that's fighting against the Imperial. And so what they decide together is um, that she was going to give them a chance to leave and they will give her vital information. I forgot what that information was. Um, and then she would pretend, um, you know, to she would delay the bombing of their encampment so they can get out. And during this conversation, um, 
they basically had to, she had to go through a mind meld with their Sarek um, to prove that she wasn't the original Michael from that, she wasn't evil Michael. Um, and during this kind of tense um, council meeting, Ash and Volk got into a fight. And Ash started speaking Klingon, and then, you know, and his Volk personality was accusing the other Volk of, like, how dare you um, associate with all this filth, which was Andorians and Vulcans and whatever was not attacked by the Imperial. And so they fought, um, and then Volk was going to kill Ash Tyler, but then Michael got him out of that situation, and then Michael told them... Um, was like, you know, I don't know what's going on with you to Ash Tyler. Um, and I forgot how she found out that he was Vo. Oh, he told her. Oh, okay. Yeah, he told her. And she was like, nope. And then, because <laughs> now she's captain of the Shinjo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she um, basically, or was it the Discovery she was ca- captain of? I believe it was a Shenzhou. Okay, she was the captain of the Shenzhou. And so she's in her evil badassery. (coughs) Um, And basically she, because she's pissed off because she believed that he knew all along and that he lied to her, she uh, was going to, she was debating in her head whether she was going to beam him into space or not. Mm Mm-hmm. And what she eventually does is beams, beams him back to the actual Federation discovery. Yeah. So he... So he could be arrested. Yeah, yeah. his character was took a interesting... Was already kind of interesting and then took an interesting, more interesting turn as being like a sleeper double agent. Um, basically ends up um, being one of the characters that's kind of pivotal to the being... Um, to the whole Klingon Federation... Um, um, I don't want to say alliance at this point, but um, peace, uh, peace treaty or you know, yeah, it's a peace, peace delegation. It's a, yeah, it's pretty mm-hmm. much like a, a treaty, like disarmament treaty. Yeah. Um. So, who else do we need to talk? Oh, Lorca. Yes. So we come oh, to the great Captain Lorca. Lorca, who <laughs> was kind of a dick. Dude thing he was always he's very intense and he's always like you know he he wants to use discovery as the like as a war the, machine as a war machine and you know they they're pushing back against that because you know it's supposed to be the exploration and they're just like well we got the best kept secret in federation and it was a good um it's good good tactics it's a good to tactics yeah. to have a ship that can slip in and out of space and yeah. um but they would get quickly overwhelmed if they like slipped in some place where, you know, there's just, like, a ton of, like, other ships to deal with, more than, like, two or three. Yeah, Um, but it was good for the Federation. Um, He was for using it as a uh, war machine. Of course, Stamets was, um, you know, really against um, having it as a war machine. Um, But you know this guy um, also had some damage... When you meet him, um, you know, he's in low light and he's telling you how um, his eyes 
got damaged in a fight and he had already lost the ship and all the souls on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, so he already felt guilty about that. He has a tenuous romantic relationship with an admiral who is questioning his sanity um, because she knows that his character hasn't really dealt with the fact that he lost the ship. Um, He takes a special interest (coughs) in Michael. um, And for a long time, we don't know what that special interest is, but we learn, we just think it's... um, like, because Michael was a good tactician. Mm-hmm. Um, but later we long learned that it was other reasons. Um, and he's just, you know, he's swarmy. <laughs> he's like, he, he doesn't feel good as a captain. Like, you kind of are here for him a little bit in the beginning. But later, as you go on, he just keeps doing stuff that just... You know there's something up with him. Mm-hmm. So by the time he gets to uh, the mirror in, um, the mirror universe, which they ac- I think they accidentally jumped in. Oh no, it wasn't an accident. <laughs> they jumped Re- in. Refresh my memory. <laughs> so basically, Lorca, um, spoiler alert, is from the mirror universe. He was the he was the evil version of Lorca, and the real Captain Lorca died. With his ship. Um, with the ship in the mirror universe. So. In the actual universe. In the actual, no, in the mirror universe. Because when. Oh, yeah, because. When, the, he, when Lorca got displaced. When Lorca got displaced, they mm-hmm. switched places because, yeah. you know, the universe has to keep constant. So he um, basically hooked up with the Discovery. Um, had hooked up with Discovery in the hopes of eventually getting back home. Mm-hmm. So when they were trying to figure out how to. Um, when they were trying to figure out how to use the discovery in order to figure out how to get past the cloaking, Klingon cloaking thing, um, so they had to make a whole bunch of micro jumps. Yeah. And he basically used that time, like the information he got from the micro jumps, to actually plot a way to jump into yeah. his home universe. So he set that up lovely. So mm-hmm. when he, when they were finally going to tell a jump, he was going to, they were going to jump back to the star base. Uh, for repairs and Stamets was like I'm gonna you know after this I'm I'm out because I'm not gonna do this anymore um, he jumped them into they, he made he, he changed the coordinates. Like, the coordinates and they ended up jumping to the mirror universe it's coming back to me it's coming back so to me so now they're in the mirror universe everyone thinks that the discovery of their universe so they have to basically take on this role of being like these like dictatorial um, asshats of the galaxy mm-hmm. um, and find a way to jump back home. And they also had to explain why um, two fugitives, which was Evil Michael and Evil Lorca, um, no longer, you know, ha- you know, returned to the yeah. Shenzhou. So they basically set it up where um, Michael captured, had pretended to capture Lorca mm-hmm. um, to bring her to uh, the Empress, um, Empress Giorgio, and through her relationship, her talking with the Empress and discovering that the Empress was sensitive to light, she realized that Lorca was from that, from the, the mirror dimension, mm-hmm. and then he tried to hold a coup uh, against the Empress and would have succeeded um, if not for... Um, 
if not those for those wily kids. Yeah, those wily kids <laughs> in their Star Trek gear um, would have succeeded if not for um, Michael. And um, basically, um, just before um, Michael, he ends up dying um, just before um, Georgia was about to meet her end in, in combat. Um, yeah, Michael, Michael teleported away because she didn't want to watch another Georgia die. Yeah. And basically to give her hope for the future and, you know, hopefully you can be a better person. And she was like, why did you do that? That you was know, dumb. That was a dumb thing. <laughs> so now we have evil Giorgio pretending to be good Giorgio, <laughs> but badly because she, she just can't do it. Yeah. She's, just not, she's just not the original Philippines. She's not in, their, not in her nature. No. So uh, at the end of the entire, of all of this wonderfulness, um... Uh, Giorgio, um, Dark Giorgio, uh, <laughs> comes up with the idea of going to the Klingon homeworld mm-hmm. and basically planting these fusion bombs um, in Kronos in, in, in um, throughout like their um, their volcano network. So mm-hmm. basically, they set it off to blow up the Klingon homeworld yep. and just basically use it to like just ransom ransom like not so much not so much ransom the Klingons, but just to get them to just just to wipe them out yeah and just basically have the nothing left because yeah. at that point the federation was losing really bad um because and they were desperate they were desperate and, and against michael's kind of michael <laughs> michael is just michael discovers this plan to just to basically commit genocide yeah and she was like we can't come we back can't do that, that. We can, we're not going to come back for that that's not starfleet so her arc basically comes back from her um wanting to destroy the klingon like the fire on the Klingons or what have you, um, and not knowing what Starfleet, not knowing the tenets of Starfleet, and not understanding what um, Starfleet represent, and then just being like, "This is what we represent. We don't represent genocide. We're, we're Starfleet. We're better than this." So they come up with a better plan. They hook up with Laurel. Uh, they tell Laurel, um, basically, "We we got you by the short and curlies. Um, we don't want to do this, but basically, you can get the houses to pull back." And, and basically, they the set her up. Yeah, they set her up as the empress. The as first the empress, empress yeah, of, um, of Klingon. Of the Klingon. She basically goes back to Klingon <laughs> and tells the houses that I'm willing to like destroy us all. Yeah. <laughs> if we don't come together, and they basically bend the knee to her. Yeah. So Discovery gets. Um, they 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 managed to stop the war. Um, this war went on for about a year. Um, the cost was very high, um, and they they stopped it. And um, Discovery is about to go out about this merry business um, when they encounter the Enterprise, and that's how the first season ends. And um, then something happens because they they did a transwarp jump. They were actually going to take Savik back, Sarek back to Vulcan. Yes. So on the way back to Vulcan, um, when they're using regular warp, um, they encounter, they get a, a transmission from the Enterprise, so they stop, yeah. and the Enterprise shows up, and then you're just like, ooh, Enterprise. Yeah. You but, know, and then, um, so that was season one, and season one was great. And I'm going to just pause, because we didn't talk about Sarek. Oh, yes, yeah, Sarek. This is, I am so glad he's part of the show. Yes. Because when he shows up, he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, James, I believe the actor's James Frain. He is a great follow-up to Mark Leonard. Yes. Okay. He's a really good. 
I, I'm always um, intrigued when they take a, basically a, a one-and-done character like Sarek. Like, he only shows up maybe, like, two or three times uh, in the entire uh, Star Trek mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't really know that much about him. It's just that, you know, he had a strained relationship with Spock. He's an ambassador. He's a Vulcan. A bad dad. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> He's a, he didn't he's, know how to raise a half. Sla- he's either a slash bad said. dad or he's actually a good dad, but he's in a bad situation. Yeah. We don't really know. Um, but, you know, it's always good for me to see, makes me happy to see like a character, like a one and done character uh, get fleshed out a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. Because Sarek is, to me, a really would, would have been a really important character in the whole mythos. Um, and just having him like show up once in a while like once an episode like when they have like a single planet ahead episodes when they need Sarek to just be like a a foil to Spock Mm -hmm. or they need um him to be breaking down mentally in the next generation so Picard can have his um connection his connection (laughs) to Spock um and seeing him be fleshed out and seeing his character um they're showing his character motivations um what's very interesting for me. Very good for for me as a, personally as a as a fan of the fan of the series. Yeah, my uh, uh, it kind of is kind of reminiscent of um, Peter David's um, book Starfleet uh, um, Academy. Not Starfleet Academy. Um, uh, what was the name of it? Uh, it was like explore something exploration. Um, blanking on the name, but. Basically, the, where he took like all the ancillary characters that kind of show up in the background of mm-hmm. Star Trek: Next Generation and made them into the major players in this one starship. Um, to me, it felt like that. Yeah. Um, Final Frontier. Oh, Final Frontier! Yeah. Which is really, yes, yes, yes. if you have not read um, Final Frontier, I would suggest you do because it's a really good uh, book series. Um, follows um Mackenzie Calhoun mm-hmm. who I think makes like a really like I said those bunch of characters that make a really brief appearance yep. um in Next Generation and then all of a sudden they're just like all these characters are showing up yeah. and being made into like these major players in the series so it kind of gave me that feel <laughs> and we get to learn more about um Spock and how he grew up and um who Sarek really is yes. because you know we you know, get our kind of opinion of Sarek from those, you know, five or six episodes that he's been in and um, the movie series. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime we get a, a glimpse of um, Spock's past, it's always something making him at odds with his father. Yeah. Um, and it's good to know who Sarek is outside of that relationship and his relationship with... Um, Michael, like they have a whole um, episode where we learn that Michael carries his katra, which is like the Vulcan um, soul. And so they have this really um, deep, intimate father daughter connection that Spock has never had with him. Yeah. You know, where I feel as though Sarek is like, okay. You know, Michael is human, so she is forgiven of her limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, on the other hand, because Spock is his son, yeah. 
in his blood, he's not given that same quarter. So when he has limitations, <laughs> then then Sarek is like, oh, this kid with all his limitations. Yeah. Like, he's my son. I, you know, I thought, <coughs> I thought my blood, he got green blood. I thought my blood was good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Michael's like, the go- almost like the golden child. It's almost like you got the daddy's little girl and the mama's boy yeah. in the in the family. And so that's interesting to, to see. And it's going to be really interesting. Um, we're on episode, we just finished episode eight of season two, and we just met a spot that is in trouble. Um, and you see that there's this sister-brother bond and love, but... There's also like this very um, interesting dynamic between Sarek and Michael and Amanda and Spock. Yes, <laughs> and they're all just it, it's it's interesting to see because like like much like with sort of their relationship with Saru, um, with Saru and Michael Burnham, um, where they're like two arrested people trying mm-hmm. to communicate with each other and then you get the, the you get Michael trying to communicate with their family like a Spock and Sarek and they're like more arrested people trying to con- to trying to um, communicate with each other In a and, very... then, and then you have um, Amanda who's a human mm-hmm. being and she's just like why don't you she's like why aren't you guys just you know talking it out or dealing with it or and know. also like she finds a little bit of solace mm-hmm. Because she was the only human, and so she finds a little bit of um, solace in Michael, mm-hmm. where it's like she's getting that like human connection with Michael, which she's not really experiencing with her arrested son, you yeah. know? So it's like, it's very interesting, but she is mama bear when it comes to Spock. Yeah. Like, she is like, like yeah, no, this is the child of my body. <laughs> like no, that's my kids. These are, you know, she loves Michael. But she's like she's super protected of Spock. It's like when you have a when you have a child that has special needs, and you know one child is you know the child without special needs. She's okay. She'll get you know she'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But because Spock is Spock and he has a special need, she's like don't fuck with my baby. Yeah. Don't mess with my baby. That's mm-hmm. my baby. Don't don't come here with that. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's very, it's a very interesting dynamic, and I'm glad we are getting to see the home dynamic of Spock and what makes Spock Spock, because the original series is onesie episodes. We might have had two parters, um, but it was always a plot <laughs> that was finished yeah. in two episodes. We never got like continuous. I don't even think in the, think in the original series there were like. Two. I think there was one. Um, I don't remember any. Like everything was resolved in like half an hour in the sixties. I don't know. I think there was, might have been one or two, two parters. But it might have just been felt like two parters in my head because the way my things, my brain breaks things down, <laughs> like Tholian web. Like I feel that was like a two-hour episode, but it's just the way my brain works. Uh, <laughs> screenwriter brain. I'm always finding those breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the episodes were really wrapped up quickly. So you would get like information dumps on, on characters past. Like you got an information dump when um, during the Deneva episode with Jim Kirk 
Um, and his oh, he has an older brother, and the older brother has a kid, and the kid is named Peter, and the wife is named Orion. His brother's name is Sam, but his brother's original name is George. And you know, he likes to be called Sam. You know, and like all this information you get in one episode. You know, that is not exactly, mm-hmm. you know, um, a continuous story. Yeah. So now you get to see a little bit of more, a little more backstory of, like, what drives um, these characters, what's driven, um, what creates these characters. Yeah. Who, who, what does a young Spock look like? Apparently right now is bearded and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, like, um, did he have more control back then? Was he less controlled? You know, what is a young <coughs> Sp- Sarek like? We're finding out that Sarek is super determined. Mm-hmm. Sarek loves his children. And I think that's something we haven't seen. I think um, in the Gen- Next Generation <coughs> episodes... Um, we learned from Perrin that, you know, uh, his second wife, that he really loves Spock, but he's been disappointed and embarrassed, she said, by Spock. Um, but we learn uh, this information through other characters' interactions. We don't see it. And so this time we get a chance to see what's going on between the two. When they meet each other, is it going to be... You know, when, they, when he is less crazy, <laughs> spoiler, um, what does the interaction look like? I'm very interested, interested in the interaction between Michael and Spock. You and me both. Because a human sister with a half-human brother, but a human sister who probably is a little <coughs> bit more Vulcan than Spock is because she is connected better to her, his father. <laughs> like his father really invested some time into her and didn't invest much time into him. Um, that's that's something I'm assuming. <coughs> it might be completely different. Um, but season two is definitely. What I think. What I think is because of the nature of her getting um, two getting. Uh, getting to Vulcan, how she got to Vulcan, um, live on Vulcan with Sarek, um, that she more um, grasps onto the um, the lack of emotion. Of course, of it. because and that's why her... she that's why she's more readily was more readily seemed more readily able to embrace the the doctrines of logic um, from the Vulcan perspective because you know her charm is she's basically didn't want to go through that and just and also like that. like she whereas she, Spock didn't really have to do that no he but was, he's like he being raised, raised yeah it. he's being raised in it but he's like his motivation to do so wouldn't have been as um intense as um Burnham's well also like you have Amanda who is basically trying to find the human within Spock <laughs> you know, and she doesn't have to do that with Burnham. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I really think a lot of Burnham's issues, her her curiosity, her impulsiveness, um, all these things are 
distractions because she has that trauma that she doesn't really want to deal with. And being a part of Vulcan, she's been taught to kind of pack that trauma in a box and, and push it away um, and process it in a different time frame, mm-hmm. uh, which she hasn't clearly because, you know, she started a whole fucking war <laughs> accidentally. Um being not dealing with her emotions and I think that's a part of her her character that most people uh, miss and her story that most people miss because there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of nuance to her story in the way that she's being um, grafted as a character um, I think season two so far has been phenomenal um, I think um if you haven't seen season two, this is a great time. I'm going to do like a five second pause and you guys can go watch season two. There's eight episodes waiting for you, like a little baby in a crib, like, Mama, Mama, come see me. All right. So season two, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we also, we, we let a little bit of slip about... Um, Spock's issues, but um, one big thing uh, they're dealing with right now is um, this Red Angel. So, um, basically, there's a Red Angel um, sighting every time something super uh, globally dramatic happens to (laughs) um, different um, areas around the universe mm-hmm. um, and Spock um, is somehow they haven't revealed how connected to um, this entity mm-hmm. and we meet um, in the first episode we meet Captain Pike of the Enterprise Yes. and Captain Pike um, I know his first name is Anson. I forget. I think it's Anson Mount or um, is the actor's name. This guy is is like the perfect Pike. Like I love this actor. I mean, he's cocky, but not Kirk cocky. Like he's kind of like he's kind of like a, the fun dad mm-hmm. of the ship, and he comes on to Discovery, and they're all kind of like, oh, we thought Saru was gonna be captain, and then he comes in, and he's like. Well, I mean, there's some, some, some shit that the Federation wants me to look into. Um, so I'm going to have to do that first. And then everybody's like, oh, no, because, you know, we had that other captain. And, you know, yeah, he was, yeah, like, he was fucking evil. Turned out he was from the, so, the like, and he was, You know, so basically <coughs> Pike comes on and everybody's suspicious. But he just makes everybody feel at ease, you mm-hmm. know. He's just like, here, here I am. And this is what we have to do. And he's like, he apologizes to Sarah. He's like, I know you wanted to see, but I have to borrow it mm-hmm. um, until we figure this Red Angel business out. Yeah, and so the Enterprise was kept out of the war. Um, we find out. Um, basically, they were supposed to be the last ditch effort in case the uh, Federation falls or, you know, things go incredibly south. Um or more south than they've been going. So we know Enterprise has been out of the war. Um, they were damaged doing something. I forget what it was. But they basically had to go back to start 
Starbase for repairs. Mm-hmm. So and number one is in charge. Number one is in charge. Played so by Rebecca and Romaine. Yeah, um, the immortal <clears throat> number one. So she shows them the um, Pike basically takes can takes co commands basically with the um, with Discovery because they um, is assigned to hunt down this anomaly. Yeah, and. We're taking on a romp through the galaxy. The romp through the galaxy. Yeah, uh, very it, original Star Trek. There, you know, we have um, we have a issue. We need to go to this area. Some episodes we have to go uh, beam down to the planet to solve, and some mm-hmm. episodes are just you know giant anomaly going coming to eat us. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and throughout this, uh, Michael learned that from uh, Pike, basically, that her brother is missing. Yes. And, um, you know, she's concerned. Um, they haven't spoken like, six years. Um, they, something happened when they were children, and she did something. They haven't elaborated what she did. Um, but basically, she felt that um, she, he was getting too close and because of the terrorist attack on her school, she didn't want him following her and doing, you know, kid brother nonsense with her. So she did something to, to you know, kind of fracture that relationship. Um, which I, I think is funny because I think Sarek knows what she's did and he didn't tell Amanda. Mm-hmm. Um, I so think, she, I think Sarek knows all. He just doesn't say anything. He knows where all the... Keep it in my Vulcan mind. He knows where all the bodies are buried, but yeah. he's just like, what logical reason would I have to bring this up? Yeah. There's no reason for me to do so. Not my story. Yeah, not my, not my <laughs> story to tell. And so basically, she um, <coughs> she's searching for her brother. He is... Um, she finds a little bit, a bit of breadcrumbs and Pike, who um, very very much values Spock as a member of crew and maybe even a personal friend is also looking for um, Spock yeah. at this time. Because we remember in the original series they mentioned that he, him and Spock like Spock served, I believe Spock served under Pike for seven years. Yeah. So in that seven years he probably would have gotten close to him as maybe even Kirk. Yeah, because um, he was a science officer. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe even more. Yeah. As far from uh, from what we can tell of their relations. And yeah, and I think discovery. it was straight out of Starfleet, too, because yeah. that was his first ship. Yeah. So he takes over the ship, and they're basically, without revealing too much, they, they basically explore and trying to figure out what this Red Angel thing is. Um, and, you know, they're exploring different parts of the galaxy. They encounter a, 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 a human colony way like light years out before like basically would have had a um was a society that was pre-warped that was human that was transmigrated by the red angel and um you know they're tracking anomalies and they're um doing a speculation thing all on the backdrop of uh, spot being missing and uh, having him having a link with this um red angel and then section um, um, thirty section uh, one. Thir- they introduced section thirty one. Yep. Uh, where um, Dark Philippa shows up <laughs> um, as a member. Um, you eventually um, 
Ash Tyler, Ash, becomes, Ash Tyler becomes a member of Section 31. And that that's an interesting place where they left the Klingons. Yeah. Um, because we do get resolution of what Laurel's life looks like after the war um, and what's going on with the families of Klingon mm-hmm. and what, what's happening with her. Um, and basically, Ash and her get into a situation where they have to, uh, where he has to flee. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has to remain like the Empress and get him out of the situation that they get, him, get themselves in. Yes. Um, and that's where Section 31 comes and gets them. Um, but also we get a lot of character stories. We, You know, our characters are getting over war, um, finding their footing. Um, you know, Burnham starts building this trust relationship with Pike. And getting back into the whole exploration aspect of what yeah. they originally had signed up for. So people who are complaining that the first season was so dark... The second season is super, I want to say, 100% brighter. Like, we're not getting candy-coated colors in this episode, though we do get a few Enterprises um, gold and, and red uniforms um, and blue uniforms. Um, it's different in a way of this is a character study um, show, and we're getting really deep into our characters mm-hmm. like you know stamets is trying to get over hugh's death um when we first seen them um tilly is is has joined the command track and she's trying to learn how to be um a captain um uh michael's trying to find her brother who else is on the show? Saru. Saru is going through a great evolution. Yes. Um, as a as a character, um, so we're getting a lot deeper into other characters in this um, series. Yes. It's not just Burnham, 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 Burnham. Yes. Um, and we're learning a lot it's about. Not that it was Burnham, Burnham, Burnham before, but it no. was like you get. But it was a lot. I mean, it was a heavy. The first season was rightfully heavy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a fun, happy show when, you know, the Klingons are blowing up Federation ships by the dozens. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't know what people expected, but um, the, the naysayers of the show, you know, when they were saying it was like Battle, Battlestar Galactica, I was like, eh, a little bit, but you're getting. So you didn't get much of the Cylon story mm-hmm. in Battlestar the first couple of seasons. You didn't get a you know a, a, the true Cylon stories until like I want to see season like three, and the 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 Cylon stories that you did get were limited. So you got Sharon's story. You got um, what was her boyfriend's story? I can't remember. It's been too long. But and you get Baltar's story. Yeah, Baltar. You know, so, you know, until you got really deep into, like, the conspiracy of Battlestar Galactica and the conspiracy of the Seven, that's when you started learning more about the other side. Yeah. You know, this, you knew from day one, from episode one, that these Klingons were problematic Mm -hmm. and they were going to cause a war. Because they, they just said, in the first couple of lines, it's like, you know, we're Klingon, we're going to start this war, we're going to start shit. 
You know, so it's like, I can understand why people say it was heavy because people are not normally trained to feel really deep emotions from characters, you know? Like, you had the original series that had resolution in every episode. TNG, you get a two-parter and there'll be resolution, Mm -hmm. you know? I remember that Picard episode where he went back in time because he had the mind probe and he learned how to play the flute at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, I cry, I still to this day at the end of that episode, I'm still, I've seen this episode 18,000 times. I still am like, (laughs) he had a whole ass family. His wife died a lot. You know, so it's just like, I understand, like, there's a resolution, whether it's a peaceful or non-peaceful resolution. Mm -hmm. It, this resolution hasn't happened yet because this character still exists. Yeah. You know, but now we have moved on to season two. Everybody's shaking off that war yeah. and getting it out of their system. And we have this bigger issue. Mm hmm. There's always like. Of this red, red angel. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. like. I mean, we, we, the nature of the, the story in season one um, didn't lead itself to the. The uh, the typical Planet of the Hat type episodes yeah. of of old older Star Trek. Um, to me, it was more reminiscent of D Space Nine, where mm-hmm. there was always like character studies, where there was, where there was a longer arcing story going yeah. on in the background, like the that Jim they had to Hadar, deal with the Jim Hadar, yeah. even the the, the Cardassian the, occupation, the the, um, um, the founders, the, the founders, and all that stuff going on in the background, and you know. Uh, you had your episodes where it was like a one and done. Yeah. Um, but even throughout all that, there was always like this whole background issue of like what's going on with the with yeah. the founders, what's going on with the with the with Bajor. Are they going to be a part of the Federation? And you know, you know, what's the politics yeah. of um, Bajor? Who's going to be their leader? Yeah. And you know, it's you know, it's a long arcing story, and I think that's. That's why D Space Nine of the Star Treks up until this, up until um, you know, of all the Star Treks, D Space Nine was my favorite mm-hmm. um, because it was less about like these individual compartmentalized stories and more about this overarching, um, this overarching story with all the characters mm-hmm. um, that eventually kind of sort of gets resolved. Um, and what it doesn't doesn't really? Yeah, but they kind of they, they they ended in a nice nice enough way. Um, and that, you know, the, the discovery kind of follows that same sort of form, where there's like mm-hmm. a lot, where there's a larger arcing story in the background, and you have the, these characters that are in, they're caught up in these events. Yeah. Um, and what makes me kind of like you bringing uh, D Space Nine just brought the parallels of Saru's story to Odo's story. Yeah. And there's always like, you know, there's always that, that, point of view character um, I tend to identify more with the point of view character than I do with most of them mm-hmm. um, I'm finding I'm identifying more with Burnham than any other character in like the in in Discovery itself um, but you know it's it, it's more of a it's more of a storytelling thing mm-hmm. I think because you know I, I teach art um, to the younger students and I always tell my students when they're making their their comics or whatever like 
you're going to have to explain everything to your, to your viewer because yep. your viewer is lazy and you need everything. You need to hand as much information as you can to your viewer in your, in your panels so they don't have to work for it because they don't want to have to work for it because yeah. you're going to lose them really quickly. And I don't know if they understand that or not, but it's like it's you know good you know we don't have the attention span. And once we have like a story that's like more than just like oh we're gonna come down this planet oh look how look at how weird this one extremely exaggerated bit of their culture is, let's compare it to ours, and then leave, and then never, <laughs> and then we never you know never mention that planet or whatever again. Yeah, and I'm you know what uh, makes me frustrated. Um, with some of the non-fans, um, other than why are you watching the show? Mm-hmm. If you hate it, are you just watching it just to be a punk? Yeah, I've, you know, I've, like I've I just never like, watched. I've never watched shows that I hate it. You know, it's just like unless I'm, it was to actually joke around with my friends about it. Yeah, what I but even then I wasn't like you know saying the show should never exist. You know, yeah, because, it's you know, like not every it's show, not, for not every, you. every not every Stop show is watching. for me. <laughs> Like, if it's not for you, it's like I watched Enterprise. Like, if I watch a show and some of the elements get me and some of the elements don't, you know, I'm just like, I'll I'll catch it when I catch it. Yeah. Okay? Um, that was, that was, I wouldn't that pay was for Voy- it. That was Voyager for me. Well, Voyager. Voyager. Of all of the, like, when people complain about Discovery, I think back to Voyager and up. All of the TV show Star Trek ever put out, Voyager's first three seasons were the most painful that I've ever... And I stuck it out. I white-knuckled that bitch because I believed in her. I believed in the Voyager. I had a... I had a thing in the back of my mind. Like, I didn't watch it re- as religiously. Yeah. But I had a thing in the back of my mind. It's like, I'll stop watching this when... <laughs> I see an episode where Voyager goes to warp and there are panels falling off in the ship because they're so beat up. <laughs> and then they had the episode where they had panels fall off the ship and I was like, yeah. done. <laughs> not watching this anymore. And then I sort of came back called the really, the very, very last episode, last, like last two or three episodes when they're dealing with the board. Yeah. Those are the last ones I saw. Like everything else between that, I didn't see. So, yeah, I gave up in the first three seasons. Yeah. So I had to, I had to catch it back because this is pre. I mean, I'm gonna date myself, but this is pre DVDs and yeah. pre. So you, so I started back in season, um, season four, and so I had to watch reruns to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you know, Cass died. I was like, "Where's Cass?" Like everything. My mother's like, "Oh," and, and you know, my mom watches regardless. She mm-hmm. watched it. She watched all the shows, no matter how bad they are. And I was like, "How many episodes did you have to watch the Cabbage Head People, the Kazons?" I think there were two seasons. Yeah, and she was like, "Girl, mm-mm. they were all there." No. <laughs> so you know, like of all, all Star Treks have to find their 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 voice yeah and i think discovery found their voice this season and they did it extremely fast yeah usually faster than the rest i think they found it i think they they found their voice like halfway through season one yeah when they started hitting their stride yeah and i think there's always like this period of like when a show is first introduced unless it's like really well defined um, where they have to find 
you know, you know that that they have to that find rhythm. that 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 rhythm that they have, and I think Discovery found it the fastest of the ones. Yeah. Um, with um, looking back at Voyager, I was like, there's so many, there were so many missed opportunities with Voyager for me. That's what oh really God. frustrated me. Yeah. About I the think whole, that was the most frustrating series. <laughs> <laughs> frustrated me about Voyager, you know, and, but, and I don't know who to blame because I'm I like, don't think it was because the I think, soul. yeah, because I think Voyager <laughs> was one much. of the, I think Voyager was one of those Star Trek was like, I think the only Star Trek show where they actually took scripts from other from like they would no TNG did fans. it, TNG did that too. Mm-hmm. So I think Voyager did it a lot more, and it mm-hmm. kind of showed because it was more disjointed. Um, at least for me, because but, I don't think they knew. Yeah, like they knew they wanted to take them into the Delta yeah. quadrant, but they had no idea what they were going to do when they get there. Yeah, so <laughs> it's like we're here, my lost whole, in space. <laughs> you know, my whole thing um, for Voyager and uh, kind of getting off on a tangent here. Yeah, but my whole my whole thing with Voyager was like you had the caretaker, you had the opportunity to have them searching for the caretaker this entire time to try and find a way to get back home. And they could have encountered you know, cultures that the caretaker encountered and stuff like that. And, you know, going through building this whole mythos about that race itself. Um, but you only really <clears throat> saw them like one other time. And then, you know, they were like, again, a one and done. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they were like, oh, the Borg. Let's throw the Borg in. Yeah. And, we need yeah. male viewers from 18 yeah. to 39. So, so. Hello, Jerry. For me, <laughs> you know, it's always like this having this. You know, it's for me. It's the storytelling. You know, I could look at the original series and really remember. You know, you know, know that at the time they weren't really like that serial of a of a thing. Like they'll everything was dealt with or forgotten about in like one episode, oh and then God. the next generation they kind of had like over like a longer arcing story or like double things. Like they'll they'll casually mention things. Like happening in the background, but mm-hmm. you know things like um, things like um, Riker's son, mm-hmm. um, where he adopted his adopted alien son, um, being mentioned like maybe one time. Alexander. But, it was more. It was It, it was mm-hmm. more personal stuff. Yeah. In TNG, because they were showing a ship that was functioning as a family yeah. base of operations. Yes. Um, so, you know, we know Troy loves chocolate. Yeah. We know, we know Data is trying to be human, so he tries these little things, um, to make himself more human. Mm -hmm. Um, these little experiments. Uh, we know Worf is a bad dad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unfortunately, um, man of color, bad dad. We'll talk about that in another episode. (laughs) Um... And we know that uh, Riker is a sex machine, um, and he plays the trombone, and sometimes he goes on the holodeck to smash. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know that Picard likes his tea, Earl Grey hot, loves um, artifacts, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like, you know personal things about the characters, and, and very rarely, other than when they introduced the Borg, did you learn about like federation problems? Yes. Unless they were dealing with that issue in that episode at that time. Yeah. Discovery is not like that. Mm -hmm. Discovery is not like that. Discovery, um, you're dealing with a lot. 
Yeah. And it's a lot of nuance that people are not usually used, you know, to. used to. And like I, even myself, I'll I'll catch things like you know I'll watch the episode with you, but when mom comes over, we will watch the episode again. Um, they're extremely rewatchable, and so when I watch the new episode, I learn even more information that I might have missed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know people should just give the show a chance. Yeah. Instead of sitting there complaining, you know, about, you know, what, um, what, why the show isn't what they exactly want it yeah. to be. Because I don't think, uh, I don't think they know what it is they actually want. Or at least, you know, they have a vague idea of what they think they want, like they want it to be TNG and... It's well, not I going. Mean, it's not going to be TNG. TNG with TNG. Every Star Trek is. Every Star Trek is different. different. It has a different feel. Everyone. I mean, even Voyager was set. Voyager and Deep Space Nine were both set in the TNG timeline. Yeah. The era, basically mm-hmm. the same like years. Yeah. And they all had different feels. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of people were saying that Deep Space Nine, like I hear people saying, Discovery isn't Trek. Or the saying that the movies, the 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 Kelvin timeline movies, those aren't Trek, um, and it's like, what do you mean that they're not Trek? It's like every single Trek is different. Like the TV series felt different from the 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 TOS movies. The TOS TV series felt different from the TOS movies. The TOS is felt different from uh, TNG. TNG. Uh, Discovery, um, D Space Nine felt different from TNG. TNG. Voyager felt different from D Space Nine. Enterprise felt different from all, all of again, them. All of them. <laughs> um, and Discovery feels different from you know all the other Star Treks. They're, each one has their own particular flavor and their own particular style, and it may not appeal to everybody. That's fine. Um, you know, like Voyager didn't really appeal to me. You know, I felt they could have handled you know stories and stuff better, and the characters weren't terribly interesting. Um, and you know I think uh, and, you know like I said a lot of it uh, I, I think a big part of it is like we're used to we're used to having everything handed to us like people are used to having everything handed to them like as characters are just here this is X, Y, and Z and it's boring and it's, it doesn't serve yeah. it doesn't when people sit there and say it's not Trek your version of Trek does not serve mm-hmm. You know the image of Trek. Mm-hmm. So your version of Trek, which is the same version of TNG, possibly or maybe TOS, mm-hmm. it doesn't push the story in the push the um, the what's the name forward. I'm trying to look for the word, but push the genre mm-hmm. yeah. genre forward. It le- it leaves it stagnant in a place that was never going to stay Mm -hmm. you know people complain about oh it looks too new and blah 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 it's like because it's not the 60s we don't have jolly rancher buttons anymore we don't need to do that we have cgi graphics you know special effects got better you just have to at a certain point you just have to you know use your imagination and realize that this is what they've been using the entire time yeah just let it go let go of what's old and Mm -hmm. that's not disrespecting Bill Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, rest in peace. That is giving their what they contributed to us longevity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The reason why this this genre is fifty five something years old 
is because every ship has changed and pushed the vision forward. Yes. Okay. And I have um, when I'm we have like arguments from stagnation that everything has to remain the same and like you're just arguing for stagnation and we yes. know the stagnation in life is death and, and if you want the exact <laughs> same thing every single time just watch the old episodes because yeah because they're available on Netflix you can watch you can watch the older episodes like but the story and the characters and the technology is going to get better it doesn't mean that we don't that we can't use them ever again you know? and the quality of the stories you know People complain about the quality of these stories, and mm-hmm. I and I'm like, what? When I ask them what it is that bothers them, none of them have a clear answer. It's mm-hmm. like it's not honoring the political blah blah blah, the cultural, and I'm like, it is though. Yeah, I mean, you have openly gay characters, you have minorities in lead roles, you have like, you have discussions of like different, the uh, the advancement of human genocide and the advancement of human culture and like how far we've come in that they had a whole um, in the um, episode with the giant um, anomaly they had a whole conversation on you know, clean energy versus mind energy. Yeah. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now with climate. Mm-hmm. You have you have Stamets arguing for the environmentalist side. You have Tig Notaro's character, the engineer, um, arguing for Delifium because it's what we've been using. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, pay attention. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying. It's like you know, we gotta everything. Don't gotta be. <laughs> Everything's got to be handed. Don't watch. If it's too much thought, people don't don't grab. But also, don't half-ass watch and Mm -hmm. don't watch one episode and assume that that episode is the entire series. Mm -hmm. I feel like people watched the pilot episode, didn't like it, and was like, "I won't watch this series," and then got on this toxic fan shit where it's just like every like. I was watching James Frame being um, interviewed about last week's episode where um, with Sarah, and there was just a bunch of toxic fans like, oh, there's only th- 20, uh, 230 views live right now, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, people have lives, you know, you know and it's going to be posted. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why are you here to cause all this nastiness? You know, these people, this is a job for them, mm-hmm. okay? You know, and this is a story. And if you want your story to be um, to be put out there, write a screenplay and submit it to Paramount or CBS. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this other guy who responded to me about how CBS, he hates the show because CBS is killing all the um, fan-based projects. I was like, what one has to do with the other? Mm-hmm. I'm like, your problem is with CBS, so so be mad at CBS. If you don't want to watch the show for that, that's your prerogative. Yeah, that doesn't make that doesn't mean the show itself is not good. That just means that CBS just doesn't want them to, you know, doesn't want you know other um, people fan, making fan projects. Yeah, fan projects. They don't want to like like, making. I know that's against yeah. Gene Roddenberry's wishes, mm-hmm. but they own the property. Yeah. Okay? They own the property. You know, I, I personally wouldn't 
you know, want that to happen, and I hate that it's happening, because mm-hmm. there was some good stuff. Star Trek, Star Trek Phoenix was one, mm-hmm. um, and there was other um, shows that were out uh, that I'm drawing a blank on, um, but take a, take that up with CBS and Paramount. Yeah. Don't take that up with Discovery. Mm-hmm. Discovery, the people on Discovery, the, the production uh, crew on uh, Discovery... They didn't do anything to you. Yeah. And as for this lawsuit, like we said before, that's another thing we need to take up with CBS and Paramount. Yeah, they, they need to pay. They need to pay that guy. Pay that guy. <laughs> pay that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but pay him for his work. Pay him for his work. Pay him for his vision that your people stole. Yeah, that's it. That's you know? all there is to it. And then there's people that are mad that it's on CBS All Access. That I could understand. That I that understand. I, that I could understand. That you know, I understand. You don't want to pay for a little We hate paying things. for it too, but it's too good to be let go. <laughs> I have decided, I made this decision for our family that I'm going to see fucking Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I needed my Star Trek. I hadn't had it for 15 years. I just had the movies just a few years ago. I needed Star Trek, so I paid for it. Yeah. Is it worth it? I think it's worth it. It is. I mean, I think I, it's I worth it. it. Honestly, if people. You know, if you as, want to spend as a level, $10... As a level 7 turkey, and <laughs> you'll probably hear this in future podcasts, uh, we have levels to our nerddom. <laughs> so we call them, I like to call them nerdtelects. Like in the DC <laughs> universe, they call the, like, you know, you call you, they say that character has a six level intellect. Mm-hmm. And that means they can make like six genius level, <laughs> genius level, um, projects in their minds at the same time. I have seven, six genius level operations happening at the same time in their mind so i sort of glommed onto that and started calling nerd calling it nerd intellect where you know i'm a level seven nerd intellect in star trek i'm a level 12 nerd intellect when it comes to like things like spider-man and transformers <laughs> and stuff like that um but you know as a level seven nerd intellect i personally enjoyed the series um i like the storytelling i like the characters the characters are engaging um I don't mind the fact that it's not uh, that they're using uh, using the technology we have now for special effects, um, and I like the little nods that they have to the original series and the and you know the little callouts that you have here and there, like that basically, like there's a moment where there's almost like a blink in them when you miss it moment mm-hmm. when in season two when um, when Ash uses. The com badge for yeah. the first time, and 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 Pike was like, "What type of badge is that? Yeah. The communicator is that? Like they'd never seen it before, and it's like they're using like to they're using these technologies in the background that you know that they that we will eventually you will eventually see in like mm-hmm. next generation and eventually become commonplace. But you know, like we forget that most of our technology that we use like in our everyday lives." was military application. Yep. Like the Roomba started out as like a military application. Yep. Now it's drones. a va- now it's a vacuum cleaner. The drones started out as a military application. Now you're flying drones and taking pictures of people on the beach or whatever. Um, <laughs> so, you know, section twenty one using thirty one using um these using the the next generation esque type com badges. Um kinda alludes to the fact that, you know, they have these technologies that they're using that even like the other rest of the military hasn't seen and eventually will become normalized yep. which is um which is an interesting kind of like like little sub blip or like a, a nod to like 
a, a nod to not only next generation but how things run in 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 our times um and they're connecting and they're, they're, they're connecting. connecting they're connecting stories from to yep. the original series um with the within i mean it's basically set the original the uh, discovery is basically set within the time that mm-hmm. enterprise was running around with with pike yeah. So we don't know a lot of the stories that happened before that. Yeah. And um, we, don't, we don't know what's considered. I mean, we know now that it's considered canon, like the discovery is considered canon. But like all the other stories that came out before, like if they wrote stories about Captain Pike or they wrote like novels, like those aren't canon anymore. And I think that's what kind of pisses people off and that they had this expectation that, you know, the way it's written in the in the in the extended universe books mm-hmm. is the way it should be on in the, on the big screen. But it's just and it's like, kind of like the way they the Disney when mm-hmm. they went in a different direction with Star Wars. Yeah. Everybody got mad. Everyone and got lost mad. Their shit. And that, I, I miss. I do love the extended universe. I love the books and, and the it's still there. And it's still, it's still you can still there for read me. it. But they don't. They're not letting you. You know. They. But this is what we have thing. now. This is what we have now, and this is what it is, and this is you know. This is the story that they want to tell. And yeah. I think we kind of, you know, as Star Trek fans and as sci-fi fans, we should give them the opportunity to tell that story. Yeah. And like give the story a chance to grow and see how, where they're going to take, where they're going to go with it. Because seeing it in the beginning and being like, mm, no, this isn't what I, this isn't what I would do. And this is, this And then is... you're not doing anything with it. It's just like. And I think you know this is, they're they're putting out their they're putting their they're putting their necks out there mm-hmm. while you're just complaining about them putting their necks out there. Yeah, and it's like it's hard to put as an artist and a writer or whatever to put your neck out there and show your work, and just being able to say you know it's not Star Trek I'm not I don't like it or you know you know I could do a better story but you never actually do that better story. Yeah, you it's just go little, little and sad. complain rabidly yeah, on on people yeah. uh, people's live streams mm-hmm. on Facebook yeah. and again you know I get it you know it's not gonna be it's not for everyone and yeah, that's you don't, fine it doesn't, have, it to doesn't, be. It's, it <laughs> doesn't, doesn't have to be at all you don't you don't have to watch it you know you don't have to go and and, and find like every conversation about it and then, and then just say how much you hate everything and and you know you know don't be a troll was, well, I think it was I think it was Kevin Smith who said he, he said something really brilliant where they were attacking his daughter for being on Supergirl or something and he was just like why he's like he's like basically telling him like, go out and create something yeah. go out and do something it's yeah. like you, you're here just attacking someone for doing something that they love yeah go out and do something you love and create mm-hmm. something and build something and you know just stop pushing being, being this way yeah <laughs> pushing know? your entitlement and and your agenda. Yeah. You know, out there with no, you know, you don't, <laughs> you're not doing anything about it. That's why I'm like, if you want to to create fan fiction, mm-hmm. guess what? Star Trek started that shit. Yeah. So you could do as much fan fiction as you want. Yeah. You I mean, know? and if you think it's really good, you could pitch the idea to book houses or whatever, yes. publishing companies, or even try to pitch it to, to, to Paramount, uh, the Universal Pictures, or what have you. Um, it's just it, it's I just don't you know as a creator myself I don't just don't want people to get to just just like have like this one this one vision of like the way things are supposed to be mm-hmm. because that's not life that's not that's not the creative process you know that's not how 
that's not how we should you know view things it's not just that's one not how you create time. art yeah, that's not how you create art it's like <laughs> if we if if we only focused on just one aspect of like doing art or like creating something we'd be stuck doing cave paintings mm-hmm. you know we'd we'd only take like we'd only take like berries and smear them on walls but you know eventually you know you have to branch out and do different things and you know some of it works some of it doesn't and that's fine um but and you know, there's always going to be nas- There's always going to be people that are against it when it's out, mm-hmm. and then and discover then, it yeah, then discover it years down the line. People mm-hmm. will discover it, like like um, the rent- like uh, um, Van Gogh. People hated his work. <laughs> they mm-hmm. didn't buy his work. The guy mm-hmm. was starving, and his friend had to basically buy a picture from him or for him to get food. Mm-hmm. And then also after he dies, and everyone just realizes how great his work was, yep. you know, and. And, and it's up. even in the short term, mm-hmm. I remember Firefly. Yeah. When it came on TV, it was, everybody has this um, lost, you know, remembrance of like it being um, super liked. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved it. And it's like, no, the fans, yeah. the fans, the Broncos whoop, whoop, um, out there loved it. Yeah. But there was a whole bunch of people that didn't know what it was, saw it, didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And this is why... And it didn't help that they ordered, they showed everything well, on order was, and all I that mean, stuff. They and then really, they kept moving, they they kept really moving days around. They, they messed that up. and I, They really screwed Whedon at every chance. They did the same shit with Dollhouse. Yeah. Okay. Um, but people have this false memory of back then of that being greatly loved by all fans that fandom grew over time Mm -hmm. because people discovered it later yes you know so you might not be in discovery now into discovery now but you might turn it on one day when it finally reaches a free screen streaming service Mm -hmm. you know and you might watch it or or binge it or if it's on dvd or something yeah dvd and binge it you might be like oh shit like you know, I saw that one episode, and you know what? I misjudged it, mm-hmm. and I was wrong, and I actually grew to love these characters. Yeah. It was like that. I think that is kind of what Babylon 5 was for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw, like, one clip of Babylon 5. I was like, I'm not going to watch this. And then I started watching, later on, I started watching reruns of it, and I got mm-hmm. in, really got into it. I was like, this is really good storytelling. That, that was me and Earth Final Conflict. I found conflict. I never saw it from the beginning, but yeah, that was the, like that. The that 80s was a, was a slow, very, slow, 80s was a weird, weird time. Slow growing <laughs> thing. Same thing with Stargate. Mm-hmm. Stargate. I literally only watched it because I was like, "Why is this still on?" Mm-hmm. Like I started in I think season five. Like I missed the whole first. Oh god. Four seasons. I started the pilot, the first two pilot episodes, and then lost track of it until like near the end so i was like there was like a lot of history yeah. going on in that and i was like this show is still going yeah and i'm I watching mean, it's like holy cow this show is still going sometimes <laughs> it's like like i only watched it because it was like the show that never ended yeah, it was, you know so it's just like you can't judge immediately and i think this is indicative to um instant gratification yes um, we live in the microwave society yeah right? and you know, we, binged, we put our food in the microwave Binge and we're, watching. we're impatient when the microwave is cooking our food in like yeah. five minutes and we're still impatient about it. And it's <laughs> like, this indicative of, 
you know, people not being able to wait, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel that, you know, it's there's a big um, entitlement problem that Netflix has started where it's just like, I want it now. I want it like all 15 episodes released. Mm-hmm. I want to watch it and judge it as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I mean, you could wait till the season's over and do that. You can, you know, you know, there's several things, but it's the impatience. Yeah. And then people go online and read reviews, like, you know, like of this thing, and they believe it. Mm-hmm. Like, believe the naysayers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and because the people who are happy with it are never going to be online talking about, like, this is the greatest show I ever watched. I mean, I do that because I feel like they need to hear positive mm-hmm. feedback. Because there's a lot of trolls on the mm-hmm. internet, you yeah. know. So it's just, uh, it's just very interesting. And this is something we uh, we could talk about with each and every genre. Yeah. Star Wars has defeated poor George. <laughs> like, oh God, like he gave up. He gave into Disney guys, because you guys like people just browbeat him to death. That is his baby. That is his first thing. That is his vision. Mm-hmm. And like Star Wars fans just just kicked him in the balls. <laughs> you know. So it's just like, you know, this is something we could talk about forever. Yes. But um, we've been on this thing for two hours. I think we're both hungry. So we're gonna <laughs> we're just gonna say good night to you guys or good morning or hello or have a great day. Yeah. We gotta figure out our sign off. A sign out before it was um What was it before? I can't remember. Hug a nerd, we love that shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey guys. Hug a nerd. We, we love, love that, that shit. shit. But get consent first because consent is sexy. Consent is sexy. Don't just be hugging random nerds yeah. without consent. And it, and and the point of fact, if they're wearing glasses, that just means they have poor eyesight. Not necessarily that they're a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) You you have nerds without glasses. You have nerds with glasses. You know, doesn't mean, you know. Also, don't be a dick. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you, if it's something, if there's something that you don't like in a series or a television show and you think you could do better. Start creating. Start creating. You know, get out there. Write a story. Share your story. Get feedback. Get feedback and, then and grow. Be in the studio. You know. And be get feedback and then be in the shoes of the creators who are you who you're shit talking right now. Yes, because it's not easy. It's we not. make it look easy, but it's not easy. <laughs> no. And you know, I think a lot of I think as an artist, you know, when people want me to do the the obligatory oh draw me picture and it's like, only take a second. I'm like, have you spent years doing this? <laughs> you spent hours of practice. This does not take like a second. No, it's, it's not easy to do these things. It's no. like you know, we just make it look easy because we have. They have the ten. Practice. They have the ten thousand hours yeah, of practice. Ten thousand hours of practice. <laughs> but you know, as I said, if you don't like it, you don't like something, and you think you have a better idea, go with that idea. You know, build, build on that idea instead of being instead of naysaying others or but crashing or to. smashing someone else's ideas or just being down on somebody else for doing something that you just don't do yourself. Yeah. And if you don't want to do it and you just want to not watch the show, that's good too. Mm-hmm. Because don't be that person that's sitting there going, "Hey guys, you like that?" <laughs> 
Stop having fun. I hate it. Yeah. You don't be that kid on the playground. Exactly. <laughs> don't be that kid. All right. All right. Hug so, a nerd. We love that shit. Bye. Bye.